Today I'm continuing a teaching on Christian philosophy, and actually we're winding down to a close in this. This is based from uh, Scripture in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And we've established that philosophy is talking about the way you think, not just an individual thought, but a paradigm, a worldview, a way of thinking. And all of us have philosophies. So what I've done is go back to Genesis chapter 3. I've taken Adam and Eve when Satan came against them and showed wrong philosophies that they had. Now, they were sinless. It wasn't wrong in the sense that they had been deceived or lied to or perverted, but they didn't know some things. They, first of all, didn't hold on to the absolute authority of God's Word. They allowed this snake to challenge God's Word. They hadn't made a decision that God is always right. He's God. I'm not. I will obey Him. It's what I would call today submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. And uh, today, if you would just make a decision that there's only one God and you aren't Him, and therefore you just do what He says and not what you think. If you were to lean unto the Word of God instead of your own understanding, it would stop Satan's inroads into your life. Then we talked about that they didn't have the depth of relationship with God that they needed. You may really question some of those statements, thinking these are sinless people. In paradise, they talked to God and heard an audible voice every single day. But they didn't have a good relationship with God because they allowed the devil to malign God's character and come against it and say, God doesn't want you to eat of the tree because he's trying to keep you from being like him. So they really didn't have a great revelation of the real nature and character of God. And the word of God actually allows us to know God and what he's like and what his heart is better than Adam and Eve could have known or the disciples could have known. I also talked about that they didn't understand the very nature of God. And we've been dealing with the fact that there are different indications of what God is like in the Scriptures. And most people haven't studied the Word closely enough to be able to rightly divide this. For instance, the Old Testament law is probably what most people consider to be God's dominant revelation of how He is. And under the Old Testament law, it was a, there was a standard of this is right, this is wrong, you do what's wrong and I'll kill you. Judgment, punishment. And they see a wrath of God. That actually isn't accurate. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord didn't punish sin in the Old Testament, but if you were to study the word out, we used Romans 5.13 and it says that until the law, sin was in the world, but sin isn't imputed where there is no law. God wasn't judging men's sins on a whole as a general rule during the first nearly 2,000 years of history. There's some notable exceptions about uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of the earth with a flood. And some people think, well, that violates everything you said. But no, I base this on Scripture, Romans 5:13. Until the law, until the time of Moses, God was not imputing or holding men's sins against them. I look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction of the earth with the flood similar to when we have a cancer or something or a gangrene and you lop off an arm or cut off a leg to keep that poison from spreading. That may, may be terrible judgment on that individual part of your body, but on the body as a whole, it's actually an act of mercy. God literally had to cut out these corrupt, vile people out of the human race or there wouldn't have been a virgin left for the Lord Jesus to have been born through. 
So anyway, I hadn't got time to go back through all that, but that's what we've been talking about. And this leads me to the last thing that I want to share in this series, and that's talking about that God is just a good God. The devil is a bad devil. God is good. The devil is bad. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's from the devil. And there's so many ways I could make this point. But again, going back to the scripture that I've used throughout this whole thing, in Genesis chapter 3, you find that the devil basically said, no, the reason that God told you not to eat of this tree is because he doesn't want you to eat and live forever. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil and become like him. In other words, God isn't really good. God isn't out for your advancement. God is trying to hold something back. If they would have just had this philosophy, a belief system that God is good and anything, any thought, any feeling that comes to me contrary to the fact that God is good, I reject it. If that's the attitude they would have had, if that would have been their philosophy, that would have ended the temptation right there. Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned. The whole human race wouldn't have been plunged into sin. That would have stopped it. And likewise, if we just had a philosophy that God is a good God and we don't entertain other things, it would keep us from coming under condemnation, feeling rejection, feeling that God isn't answering our prayer because we haven't done something right. All of these things are wrong philosophies about God. And um, real quickly, I want to run through some things Because again, Satan has used religion nowadays to promote wrong philosophies, wrong ways of thinking about God. And one of the dominant errors, now this is just my opinion, other people might have a different opinion, but this is my opinion that the worst doctrine that I can think of in the body of Christ today is this extreme sovereignty of God teaching. And I know that that's going to probably offend a lot of people because there are people that they talk about the sovereign Lord and they use the term sovereignty of God as if it's synonymous. I mean, like it's his first name. They just believe that this is foundational. But this needs to be explained because God does not control everything. As a matter of fact, I've got this little magazine that we put out in 2002, and it was after the World Trade Center bombing and the terrorist attacks on the United States, and it's entitled, Why Bad Things Happen. And I not only took the terrorist attacks, but I just took different things about sickness, why do people die, and different things. And I taught some things in here. And um, let me just read some things here. Here's what the dictionary defines the word sovereign as. It means paramount or supreme. If you want to use the term sovereign like that to describe God and say He is paramount and He is supreme, I agree 100%. The second definition is having supreme rank or power. If you want to say that God is the top of the food chain, that nobody has greater authority than Him, that He is absolutely monarch, He is the highest authority that there is, I agree with that 100%. The third definition, it means independent, a sovereign state. If you want to say that God is independent of us, nobody forces God, makes God do anything, that He is absolutely self-contained, He can exist without us, He existed before us, well, then I agree with all of that. And then the fourth definition of the word sovereign means excellent. And if you want to say that God is excellent, well, then I agree with every bit of that. 
So technically, I am not against the sovereignty of God. What I'm against is the religious doctrine on the sovereignty of God, which basically, if you uh, were to ask a person, what does it mean that God is sovereign? What they mean by that is that God controls everything. Nothing can happen without God's approval. That God, in a sense, bears responsibility for every single thing that happens. He may not cause it directly, but He could have stopped it if He wanted to. He is sovereign. In a sense, He has a desk in heaven, and before anything can happen, that piece of paper has got to come by His desk, and He has to stamp approval on it. He may not give a direct order to go do it, but the devil has to get permission from Him to do anything. So therefore, every single thing that can possibly happen comes from God and is basically under His control. And He is working every single thing together for some redemptive purpose, some positive purpose. Now that's what the people mean when they say sovereign. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I personally believe that is the worst doctrine. I believe that that destroys more people. It just totally takes away our resistance What's the point in us studying the Word, seeking God, going to church, resisting the devil? Why do anything? Nothing can happen but what it's God's will. And you know, the people who preach that, they get violently upset at me and say, you're of the devil. And I always want to come back to them and say, wait a minute, I couldn't preach this. If God didn't want me to preach it, it must be God's will for me to be preaching this. And it just always stops them. Their own doctrine can't embrace that. You know, most people, they believe things in a kind of a doctrinal sense, but then when it comes to the application, they may or may not accept it. I've actually known people before that says God controls everything, but then when you talk about somebody who goes out and rapes another person, did God do that? Most of them say, well, no, that wasn't God's will. God didn't approve of that. God didn't do that. They have limits and bounds. But you know what? It's either one way or the other. Either God controls everything or He doesn't. Which is it? Well, that's what I'm beginning to teach about. And basically what I'm going to come to is the fact that God is a good God and God is not the source of our problems. And I know that I'm countering right now probably one of the most pervasive, dominant doctrines in the body of Christ talking about that God controls everything. Nothing happens without His approval. That's not what the Word of God teaches. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, yes, it is. Let me give you some Scripture. Here's a passage of Scripture People that don't know any other verse in the Bible will quote from Romans chapter 8 and in verse 28. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now let me tell you what this verse does not say first. This verse does not say that God causes everything that happens or allows everything that happens. Now that ought to be real simple, but it's amazing. When people read this, they read that into it. They say, but God works all things together. That means, therefore, that God had to have caused it, or at the very least, He had to have allowed it. That does not mean that. It doesn't say that. This is just saying that God is so awesome. And there are some qualifications on this. I'm going to get into this and explain it more. But when a person is seeking God and yielded to God then God can take anything that Satan throws at you or anything that just natural circumstances throw at you and He can bring something good out of it. He can make it work together for good. 
That doesn't say that God caused it or allowed it, but God is so wonderful, He can take anything that happens and work together for good. You know, I've likened this to like a person who is a master chess player. You don't control your opponent. You don't control their moves. But you know, if a person is a master chess player, then regardless of what move the opponent has, you can use that to your advantage. You can begin to see that they're beginning to start doing this and they're trying to sneak up over here and do something and you can take their focus on that and use it to your advantage. You can catch them off guard. That doesn't mean that you made them do that, that you forced them to do it, that you had any control over it. But if you really know what you're doing, you can take anything that the enemy throws at you and use it to win. If you are really good at, say, like martial arts... And if a person is throwing some certain punch at you, well, then you know what? That makes them vulnerable in another area. And if you really know what you're doing, you can take their very moves and use them against them. You can get them off balance. You can do this in anything that you want to do. In football, if uh, the defense is rushing so hard at the passer, you know what you can do is run a screen and you can take that aggressiveness and use it against them. And they will think that they're getting through and what they've done is allow that whole offensive line to come out here and put up a screen and you can run for a lot lot of yardage. Or if they're rushing real fast, you can use a draw because they're expecting a pass. You use a draw and run it right up the middle. That doesn't mean that you made your opponent do that. It just means that you can take it and work it around to your advantage. God's wisdom is so much greater than man's wisdom, than devil's wisdom, that regardless of what the devil does, God can work it together for good. I tell you, this is so simple. You have to have a predisposition that you've already been taught something and you already have a philosophy that you're locked into. Or you you couldn't find this in these scriptures. These scriptures are not blaming God for everything that happens. And yet, people quote this all of the time. I actually was in a uh, service one time where a preacher had just come from a funeral where two young people had an accident. It was on a rainy night. They slipped off the uh, pavement in a car and wrapped around a pole. They had been drinking. They were drunk, so their judgment wasn't good. Their reactions weren't right. They slid off the road, wrapped around the pole, and died. And he got up and talked about how he had just come from this funeral, and he used this verse and says, we know that all things work together for good. We know that God had a purpose in these young people dying. God did not do that. God did not kill two teenagers. You know why they died? Because they drank and were not able to control their reflexes properly. They were speeding too fast. The pavement was wet, and it was just physical, natural things, stupid judgment that caused them to die, and God didn't do that. Now, can God bring something good out of that? Without a doubt. There's people that maybe they were living the same lifestyle and they could have died, but they didn't. And they saw somebody else and saw what it cost them. And they learned at their expense. And maybe they decided, I'm never going to drink again. I'm not going to act like this. And he could bring something good out of it. But God did not cause that. That is so simple. And notice also here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together. The, word, the verse begins with the conjunction. That means that this verse, verse 28, is linked to the previous verses. I'm not going to take time to go back there, but if you went back to verses 26 and 27, it's talking about the Holy Spirit making intercession through you with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And if you were to look up the Greek words, one of these Greek words here talking about how the Holy Spirit intercedes through you, the Greek word literally means to take hold together. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for us without our participation. But when we start crying out and drawing on the power of God, then the Holy Spirit adds His power to that and makes it effective. So you could say it this way. For those who are interceding and allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede through them, take hold together with them, and they are seeking God, then God can work those things together for good for them. But not everything that happens works together for good. There's terrible tragedies that happen all of the time, and it doesn't work together for good. This doesn't automatically happen. You first of all have to let the Holy Spirit be making intercession through you. Then it goes on to say, we know all things work together for good to them that love God. This puts a qualification on it. This doesn't work for everybody. Even those that love God, it doesn't automatically work. There's another qualification here we're going to talk about. But if you don't love God, if you aren't seeking God, if you're out there just shooting up dope and you overdose and you kill yourself, that's not going to work together for good. Now, somebody else who turns to God, God might be able to bring some good out of it, but you cannot justify that. You can't reconcile it and make it good. It's just the devil. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10. But Jesus came to give us life. Jesus is the life giver. Satan is the life taker. Satan is a killer. He's a destroyer. Satan is the one who's doing bad things, not God. And for you to transpose the bad onto God and say it's God's fault, God either originated this or he had to let the devil do it, is totally inaccurate. There's a lot of things that happen. People walk, they get drunk and walk off of buildings and do things and kill themselves. Man, I've read some of these things about a guy that was testing a blasting cap one time and was chewing on it to see if it would explode if you chewed it, and he blew his head off. God didn't do that to him. That God did that to himself. I read another thing about a guy that was giving a tour of a building, and he was on the 20th something floor, and they were saying, well, what about all of this glass? Is that dangerous? And he said, oh, no, look how strong it is. And he runs and jumps and hits it and falls out and dies. God didn't do that to him. That guy did that to himself. And so, everything does not work together for good. It's only if you've been letting the Holy Spirit make intercession. If you love God, and then the last thing it says, uh, according, to the, uh, according to His purpose. It works together according to His purpose. According to 1 John chapter 3, I believe it's around verse 6, 7, right there it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the devil. So, it works together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. Those who are out to destroy the works of the devil. Those who are resisting the devil will find the negative things that life dishes out to them work together for good and God can bring good out of it. But these verses don't say that God is quote-unquote sovereign, that God is the one that's caused problems in your life. That is wrong. That's a wrong philosophy. And that's destroying you and destroying other people. I tell you, we need to change that. Let me just share some other scriptures on this with you out of James chapter 1. To me, this makes it very clear. And yet it's amazing how people just seem to ignore what the Bible has to say. In verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, people have taken those verses right there, and he said that the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So they say that through this, that if you want to be made perfect, then what you need is patience. And patience comes through hardships and problems. And God puts you in the fire and he's tempering you and they do all of this. I tell you what, that is reading a lot into these verses. And if you take it in context, it very clearly makes it uh, the statement that God isn't the source of our problems. Now, it is true that you aren't going to experience the perfect Uh, will of God manifest in your life if you don't have some patience. But the scripture also says in Romans chapter 15, I believe it is, in verse 4, that you could have uh, comfort. Let me just turn over here and read this. I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly right. Romans chapter 15 and in verse 4, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Patience comes through the Scriptures. Patience doesn't come through trials and tribulations. If it did, then the people who've been tribulated the most, the people who suffer the most would be the most patient. And that is not true. Patience doesn't come through problems. Patience comes through the Word of God. Matter of fact, patience is a fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But once you have patience, patience is like a muscle. It can't fully develop unless it has some resistance. And so your patience is going to be increased uh, once you go through some adversity. This doesn't mean that God sends the adversity your way. But you are going to have to act out your faith. You're going to have to apply it. And as you experience victory because you've stood and believed God, well, then you're going to be stronger the next time. But see, people, I don't know if I'm making myself clear on this. Again, this isn't hard. The only thing that makes this hard is that religion has put up a philosophy that God is the source of problems. And it is so prevalent, so dominant that it's like a a road, a dirt road that, you know, wagons or something have gone down so many times that they've made the rut so deep. They're so big and so deep that anytime you start down that road, even if you try and avoid it, you'll eventually just slip into those things because they're unavoidable. And that's the way I feel it is when you start talking about these kind of subjects that God isn't the one that causes problems. People have been taught the opposite so long and so hard, they, they, their mind just immediately falls into this trap and it's hard to say something. This isn't saying that God causes trouble and puts trouble in your life. It's saying that patience comes through Scripture, Romans 15, 4, but the troubles you experience in your life are going to give you an opportunity to act on that Uh, faith that you have and it's going to make your patience stronger and you will wind up being better off for it. But it's not saying that God causes your problems. As a matter of fact, if you'll just keep reading right here, it goes on to say in verse um, 12, it says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now again, some people say that's a proof that God's the one that sends temptation your way. No, God doesn't send temptation, but there is a blessing on you if you will stand through it. Temptation is going to come to everybody. Matter of fact, the Lord told us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 to pray specifically that we would not be led into temptation. 
Why would God tell us to pray against something that is God's will? If people are saying that God's the one that puts this temptation on us and it makes you better, well, then why would God tell you to pray not to go into temptation? See, that's schizophrenic. God isn't like this. This isn't saying God causes the temptation. It just says you're blessed if you endure temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Then in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. How clear can you get it? Don't let anybody say that your temptation, your problem is coming from God. God isn't the source of your problem. God doesn't tempt people with evil, neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Good gifts come from God. Every good gift comes from God. As it says over in John chapter 10, verse 10, if uh, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's from the devil. If it's stealing, killing, and destroying, it's from the devil. If it's good, it's from God. Again, this is simple. But religion has just so complicated this that it makes it hard. But I believe that if you would just allow the Holy Spirit, He would bear witness in your heart and show you these things. Somebody might be saying, but I can show you in the Old Testament where God judged people and did this. I dealt with this, but yes, uh, our sins deserve judgment. And in the Old Testament, we did see judgment come upon people. But you can never find when God smote somebody with leprosy, when God killed this person, when God did these terrible things, you can't ever find that that was a blessing the way that the church, quote unquote, is presenting that today and saying that this is actually a good thing, embrace it. No, they were punishments, curses, judgments. Galatians chapter 3 verse 12 says, Christ hath redeemed me from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. Sure, there were judgments and punishments and the death angel went out and killed 186,000 people in one night. But you can't find that as a blessing. It was a curse. It was a punishment. My punishment has been placed upon Jesus and in the New Testament, God is not out to get me or you. God is not causing the problems in your life. People will often say, well, if God doesn't judge America then he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The truth is, if God does judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus because Jesus bore our punishment and we are not under the wrath of God. Now, there is a wrath of God. It was poured out in the Old Testament, but in the time we live in, it's not being poured out. And there is a future tense time when the end of the age comes and God calls everybody account due, all of those who have made Jesus their Lord are not going to be ever under the wrath of God. But those who reject Jesus as Lord will receive the wrath of God. He's going to enforce their decision. If they reject His payment for sin, they will have to pay for their own sin. But that's a future tense fulfillment. Right now, the wrath of God is not being poured out on people. 
you aren't ever going to suffer the wrath and the punishment of God if you are truly born again. Now, if you aren't born again, even for non-Christians, people who haven't truly experienced salvation, God is merciful towards them. The Scripture says that God makes His uh, reign to fall upon the just and upon the unjust. God is merciful even to the ungodly. We live in what's called an age of grace, where like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing men's trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And so God isn't holding people's sins against them today. Even non-believers, God is still dealing with them in grace. But I believe that it's possible. Now, God would be just if He wanted to bring judgment upon an unbeliever. He would be just because they have rejected His offer. It's like, you know, if I go in and uh, say if I was a judge and there was a number of people brought in before me and they all had traffic tickets and if they were guilty... Because I'm the judge and I have to do what's right, well, then I could say, all right, you're assessed $100, 150 or whatever. I could pass judgment on them. But then, if I was like God, I would go down and take off my robes and I would literally take their place. And I'd say, you know what? I'll pay your fine for you. I'll take this punishment for you. Now, that would be a godly thing to do. That, in a sense, is what God did. God was just, and because man had sinned, there was a punishment. But Jesus himself became a man and bore our punishment for us. And if we accept that, well, then we don't have to pay. Jesus paid for us, and we do not come under the wrath of God. But if you could imagine somebody that says, well, you aren't going to pay my fine for me. Nobody's going to, you know, I'm not going to be beholden to anybody. I'll pay my own fine. I'll go to jail. I'll suffer this on my own sentence. Well, if you reject the offer that's made, then yes, you will have to come under that judgment that was made against you. And there is coming a time that God is going to say, all right, all of you who have not accepted my payment for your sins, you've got to answer for your own. And if the Lord was to call a, a person who's not born again and say right now, your payment is due now, he would be just in doing that. There's no reason he couldn't. It's just that we live in an age where God is not calling men's sins into account right now. There is a future tense time where he will do that. But right now we see God dealing even with the ungodly in a merciful way. So anyway, let me answer a question here. Some people say, but what about this Hurricane Katrina that came in New Orleans that was flooded and thousands of people died in terrible poverty and devastation of the economy and people suffered and all of the terrible things that have gone on. Why did God do that? First of all, God didn't do that. God doesn't control all of these things. You know, at the same time that this Hurricane Katrina had gone out... I've I've heard some people try and ascribe that to global warming and saying that man made all of these things happen and all of this. At the same time that this Hurricane Katrina came through and destroyed New Orleans, did you know that there was also solar flares on the sun? And they're saying that they are the worst solar flares in 15 years and it's disrupting communications and different things. And I just read that in the same paper where I was reading about Hurricane Katrina and I put the two together and I thought, I wonder how the environmentalist would say we caused the sun to have this solar flare. Is it our global warming that affected the sun? 
You know what? That's just something that happened. It isn't something that we cause. It's not a judgment because we've been uh, polluting and doing this and on and on and on and on and goes. There's just some things that happen. Some, I'm sure if you could go back into history, of course, we don't have recorded history going back hundreds of years, but if you could go back into recorded history, they've had Category 5 hurricanes come through there before, and it wouldn't have been the last time. I think Camille went through uh, New Orleans back in the 60s, and it was a strong hurricane. But you know what? It's just a natural thing that happened. God didn't make it happen. Some people say, well, it was prophesied. I can, I can give you a prophecy from a guy in Houston who said that it was going to happen and even put a time on it, either August, September, or October. But you know what? I don't, again, believe it was causative. It's just God in His foreknowledge saying what is going to happen. It didn't say He caused it. didn't say He allowed it. It's just telling you that it's a warning. This is coming. There's going to be something happening. It was a warning to God's people to take care of themselves and take evasive action. It didn't mean that God caused it. It just happened naturally. And the devastation, that isn't the strongest hurricane that's come through that area. But you know what happened? They, I'm not here to criticize anybody, but I'm just chalking this up to the ignorance of man that they built a city below sea level and then built Lake Pontchartrain up above the city level and used some levees to hold it in. You know what? That's just not real smart. Now, I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm not saying I could have done any better. But you know what? If you build your house on little tiny toothpicks up over a thousand foot cliff, and if you don't have it anchored properly and stuff like that, eventually that thing's going to fall. And it's not God that caused your house to fall. It's your own ignorance. It's our own foolishness that caused it to fall. You know, the hurricanes come through. And they only built these levees to... uh, withstand a Category 3 hurricane. They know that there's Category 5 hurricanes that come through, and yet they didn't measure up to the standard. They had the city below the lake. That's just a recipe for disaster. God did not cause that. Some people say, but look at the homosexuality, the Mardi Gras, and all of these kind of things. This was God's judgment on New Orleans. My answer to that would be, why would God stop with New Orleans? Why doesn't he move on to San Francisco and judge the gay community there? Why doesn't he move into Los Angeles and judge all of the porno shops there? Why doesn't he move into Las Vegas and judge all of the ungodliness that's happening there? Why doesn't he go into all of these other places? In the Bible, when God's judgment was poured out, like on, uh, during Noah's flood... Every person on the face of the earth died except eight people. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, every single person there was destroyed except for three people. I guarantee you when God's judgment comes, there's not going to be a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand die. I guarantee you God's judgment when it comes, the scripture in the book of Revelation says that people will be crying out and calling on the rocks to fall on them. They won't have to be guessing Is this God? You'll know it's God. You'll know it's God's judgment. These are natural things that happen, and it was because of the lack of wisdom on people's part that it became so bad. And you could also say these people were warned to evacuate. They didn't evacuate. People wrote it out because they had been lulled to sleep. There had been other hurricanes come through, and it wound up being, uh, you know, kind of like crying wolf. Nothing 
uh, very bad happened out of it, and they just made a wrong judgment, a wrong decision. I'm not faulting them. If I would have been there, I might have ridden it out too and have made the same mistake. But it's not God that did this. It's people having poor judgment, building in the wrong place, doing all of these things, and natural disasters happen. We went through a fire out by my house not too long ago, 144,000 acres destroyed. It was stupid to the max. And people say, why did God do that? Now, you might be able to say that Satan inspired it. Satan somehow or another was involved in it. But ultimately, it was just a person doing something stupid. And it cost many people their lives. Other people lost their homes and stuff. God didn't do that. God's not the one that caused the terrorist attacks. Now, see, see again, this goes so contrary to most people's thinking because they think, well, I thought if we were seeking God, these things couldn't happen. Well, the more you seek God, there is supernatural protection available to you as you seek God. Psalms chapter 91 is one of those instances listed where if you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty and if you speak it out of your mouth, no plague will come nigh your dwelling, etc. But all of that protection is dependent upon you seeking for it. It, to me, would be similar to if it's raining outside and if a person had a big umbrella that would keep you dry, you would have to seek it out. You would have to come over there and stand under that umbrella. But if you walk out from under the umbrella and then you get wet, don't blame the person with the umbrella for not protecting you. You're the one that left. You're the one that walked away. I do believe that there is supernatural protection. And if we would seek God and humble ourselves and repent and pray, then we could see greater protection. God might have intervened in a way that would have kept that levee from breaking in New Orleans and He might have turned the hurricane. I've spoken to hurricanes and I believe that they've turned because of my prayers. But that's just a natural thing that happened and it was aggravated and made worse. That's actually not the worst hurricane to come through. But it was made worse because New Orleans is built below sea level and Lake Pontchartrain is up above the city. And when that levee broke, it was just a disaster waiting to happen. That's like a person sitting on top of a flagpole and when they fall, they get mad. Why did God let them fall? It's just stupid. You aren't supposed to do things like that. That was just the lack of wisdom on man's part to build that city in that way and, and uh, all of those things. Anyway, I'm not here to criticize anybody. I've made some mistakes too, but when I'm not going to blame God when those mistakes happen and when, when I have consequences to my stupid mistakes. I can remember a time I was working on my trail and I had this big old rock that's about, I don't know, two foot, two, three foot tall like this. The thing weighed hundreds of pounds. And I was trying to move it into position and I was down below it trying to lower it into the right position. I had a thought that this is really stupid. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't the smartest thing to do, but it's the, only place, it's the only way I could see to get this rock into place. And I thought if this rock rolls past this little hole that I had made for it and if it starts down this hill, I'm jumping out of the way. So I'd already had an escape plan. I'd thought about it. Well, sure enough, the rock rolled into the hole and just kept on rolling. And so I decided, man, I'm getting out of the way. I jumped, but I had a piece of wood there, a two before. And when I jumped, I stepped on that two before. My feet fell out from under me. And I was just laying like this on a hill. And this hundreds of pounds rock rolled down my arm and hit my head and bounced off. It could have killed me easily. And you know what? I didn't blame God for that. I didn't say God was trying to teach me something. 
If anything, I should have learned. You know, I made a little plaque right there and said, August the 25th, 1999, God saved my life when this rock rolled over my arm and head. And then I put down, I forget the exact reference, but it's the scripture that says, God preserves the simple. (laughs) You know, it was the grace of God that I didn't die through that. God didn't do that to teach me something. I believe God did intervene. He kept it from being worse than it was. It could have killed me. You know, Jesus one time was asked about why did this happen? Why did Herod mingle the blood of the pigs that he had offered, you know, with... uh, the people that he killed and stuff. Why did God allow this to happen? And the Lord basically responded. He says, these people aren't worse sinners than anybody else. This tragedy didn't happen because of any great sin on their own. He says, it's just the grace of God that all of you haven't experienced. In other words, you're reaping this. You aren't seeking God. You're doing your own thing. Therefore, you aren't under the protection and the blessing of God. It's a miracle that all of you haven't been wiped out. It's the grace of God that everybody isn't destroyed. You know what, if God, instead of God causing things like Hurricane Katrina, what it is, it's the grace of God that is so dominant, the goodness of God that is so dominant that He's keeping things from being worse than they could. I mean, they could be much worse if it wasn't for the grace of God. And for whatever reason, you know what, the things happened in New Orleans. We don't know all of the reasons, but God didn't cause that. It wasn't God's judgment on those people. Man, there's so many things I'd love to say about that. Look at this passage of Scripture in James chapter 4 and in verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Very familiar passage of Scripture. You have to submit yourselves to God and then you have to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this Scripture puts a tremendous amount of responsibility upon us. If we don't resist the devil, he won't flee from us. The word resist means to actively fight against. If you aren't actively resisting the devil, and I tell you, if you're out here living in sin and doing drugs and alcohol and into pornography and sexual uh, immorality, you can say what you want to, but you aren't resisting the devil. You're cooperating. You are allowing him to eat your lunch and pop the bag. That is not resisting the devil. But if you are resisting the devil and not cooperating with him and seeking God and seeking to do what's right, then it says the devil will flee from you. You can turn it around this way and say that Satan doesn't flee if we don't resist. Now the point that I'm making through this is people all of the time are saying, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Did you know basically there are certain things that he's put under our control? They aren't under his control. For instance, the Bible says that we have to preach the gospel. How can they hear? How can they believe except they hear? How can they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. It's not God who's failing to preach the gospel and therefore letting people go to hell. God committed this responsibility of preaching the gospel to people And we are making some efforts and we're doing good in some ways, but still there's vast numbers of people alive on this earth today who aren't hearing the gospel and it's not God who's letting them die and go to hell. It's the body of Christ who's not taking our responsibility and persevering in this area. Let me just take it out of the world 
scope and let's say this, what about your neighbor? You know what? There are many of you who know God yourself and yet you are either too occupied, too busy to even think about what your neighbor's needs are or maybe you know that they need God in their life but you're afraid that they might reject you and it might hurt your relationship. And so therefore you're making their choice for them. You aren't telling them the gospel because you've rejected it for them. You know what? It's not God who's letting that neighbor go on and languish without healing and without victory and without their marriage being healed and without the joy that he can bring. It's not God that's keeping those things from them. It's you. We aren't sharing the gospel and we aren't telling people the truth. See, God gave us responsibility to do some things. One of those things, this verse I was using is, God gave us the responsibility to resist the devil. Now, you can pray and ask God to resist the devil all day long, but it's not going to happen. God's not going to rebuke the devil for you. God and the devil have already met in mortal combat. Jesus won. The devil is defeated. Jesus gave us his authority. And if Satan is messing your life up, it's not God who's allowing it to happen. You are the one that's allowing it to happen. Now, I know that some of you aren't blessed by that because we have developed this masterful ability to blame anybody and everybody else for our problems and dodge any responsibility so that we can just keep propped up in front of the television set, eating bonbons and take no responsibility for our health or for anything else. But you know what? It's not God that's making people die of strokes and heart attacks and all of these sexually transmitted diseases. It's not God who's giving people AIDS. It's people who are doing these stupid, perverted things that is causing us to die early and causing all of these things to happen. It's us who are cooperating with the devil and allowing Satan to come in and do this. God said, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then, if you don't resist the devil, for you to come back and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? God didn't allow it. You allowed it. You didn't resist the devil. The word resist means to actively fight against. Saying, dear Satan, please leave me alone is not resisting the devil. You got to get angry. You got to stir yourself up. You got to fight. And if you aren't doing it, if you're cooperating with the devil through sin, if you're cooperating with the devil through being so preoccupied with your favorite show on television, so preoccupied with your business that you have no time for God, you don't spend any time seeking God, you don't study the Word, you don't pray, you don't do anything that you know you should, and then your life spins out of control and you come back and say, well, God's sovereign. I wonder what God's trying to accomplish. You know what? I'm saying this in love, but that's just dumb. That is dumb to the second power. Dumb, dumb. That's stupid that we blame God for things that are our own making. You know, I actually knew a preacher one time that believed in this extreme hyper-sovereignty of God to where nothing happens but what God allows it. And this man got into pornography, into sexual sin, to the point that he really believed he was demon-possessed. And, of course, all of this came out into the open. His wife was upset He had an appointment. He was going to go see somebody else and get these demons cast out of him. And as he was getting ready to leave and got out into his car, he said that the Lord just reminded him that nothing can happen but but what God approves it and allows it. And this man said, yes, that's true. And so he says, therefore, I have to allow this. It's me that put this lust and this adultery in your heart. I'm trying to work something. And this man said that he 
went back in the house, canceled his uh, deliverance appointment, and embraced these demons because God was trying to teach him something. Now, that is just stupid. I mean, how dumb can you get and still breathe? Excuse me for being so um, (laughs) subtle here that somebody might have missed what I was trying to say, but that's stupid. Only a religious person could ever buy into that. If that was true, what's the point in you studying the Word, praying, resisting anything? Just go out and eat poison, do terrible things, live in sin, do anything, because you couldn't do it if God didn't want you to do it. It's all going to work together in some way. That's just stupid. That is not what the Word of God teaches. And I tell you, stuff like that is causing people's relationship with God to be terrible. Satan is able to destroy us and terrible things happen. Here's another question. You know this little booklet. I'm running out of time. There's so much more that I'd love to say. But this little magazine that we've got, it's entitled The Good Report Magazine. And we do it on different subjects. This whole magazine right here, I think that there's 16 pages, is all about why bad things happen. And I talk about the 2001 terrorist attacks in the United States. I talk about a tornado that destroyed a church. I talk about why people get sick, why people die, why things happen. Uh, One of the subjects that I've got in here is what about Job, the book of Job. And there's no way I can cover all of this. I have a teaching tape. Matter of fact, if you were to get this little magazine, we're making this available to you free. It lists other books. I've got a book on this, tapes, individual tapes entitled The Sovereignty of God, The Book of Job, All Things Work Together for Good, What is a Christian. I've got a number of resources listed in here that you could get. But I've got an entire teaching on the book of Job that I haven't got time to go through. But let me just say that in a nutshell... The book of Job was Old Testament. Job was written before the uh, books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, of course, Genesis goes back to the creation and talks about Adam and Eve, but it was written by Moses nearly 2,000 years after the fall of Adam. The book of Job predates the time of Moses. So it was before the Old Testament law had come into effect. It uh, is before there was really a covenant with God. And one of the reasons that you can say the things happened to Job that they did is because he didn't have a covenant with God. So in some sense, the book of Job doesn't even apply to us because we do have a covenant, a contract. You know, it would be similar to a person who went out and tried to make some business deal, and in this business deal, everything went sour and nothing worked. And so because that one didn't work, he says, well, I'm never going to enter into another business deal. But the difference is you didn't have a contract. You didn't have any legal thing. If you now have a contract and that you and the other party are bound to it, well, then it's a totally different situation. Well, see, Job didn't have a contract with God. There wasn't a covenant. I have a covenant that I've already read over here in James chapter 1. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. I have a covenant that says God's not going to tempt me, that God came to bring me life and bring it to me more abundantly, that it's the devil that steals, kills, and destroys. So in some ways, the book of Job and what we are going through don't even parallel each other. I have a covenant that supersedes this, And God is not going to put tragedy on my life and all of these other things. But let me say that here's what I believe that the book of Job is all about. And I 
it's hard for me to say this without getting into the exact teaching. Again, I have a, t- a tape that goes just covers the book of Job. If you want more detail, you can get it. But in a nutshell, I don't believe that the book of Job explains why the things happened to Job that they did. Now, some people will try and say that. Some people will try and blame Job and say it's all his fault. The thing which he feared the most has come upon him. Some people will try and blame God. And Job's three friends blamed God. They blamed Job. They did all... Well, let me say it this way. Job's three friends blamed Job and says it was his fault. God was judging him for some secret sin that wasn't evident to everybody else. Job says, no, it's not me. It's God. It's just God's judgment. God isn't just. And he blamed God. Well, eventually God showed up in a whirlwind and there was such an awesome display of his power that Job put his hand over his mouth and he says, Man, I have spoken out of turn. I didn't know what I was saying. He said, I abhor myself. He repented and fell before God. But you know what? God never did totally explain. I don't think that you can figure out exactly what happened in the book of Job. Now, I can say this again. He didn't have a covenant. I do have a covenant. I will not have... God, judge me, do something to me because I've got a covenant that says that He won't. So in that sense, I can't learn exactly why everything happened. But here is what I believe the number one purpose of the book of Job is. It never did explain why the tragedy happened, but it did show that those who blamed God were rebuked by it and those who said that it was some punishment from God upon Job for some sin were also rebuked. Basically what it does, it just teaches you that, you know what, you haven't got it all figured out. You don't understand everything yet. And instead of trying to, you know, everybody wants everything in a nice little box. And they want to know exactly why Hurricane Katrina happened and why did God do this? Well, God didn't do it. Well, wasn't it the judgment, the punishment of God? Or was it the devil? Or was it President Bush? Or was it the mayor? Or was it the... We're wanting to blame somebody so that we can just sweep all of this into a nice little tidy pile, put it in a file and file it away and we don't have to deal with it. You know what? I understand some things about it. I've shared those things with you, but I don't have it all figured out. I don't understand everything, but here's what I do understand. God is a good God. God cannot be tempted with evil. God is not the one who puts these problems on us. God is not judging us right now. He is, through Jesus, not imputing men's trespasses unto us, and He's given us that same ministry where we need to be preaching the grace of God. There is coming a future judgment for those who've rejected God's salvation, but right now we are living in a period of mercy and grace. God isn't giving us what we deserve. He's operating with people not imputing their sins unto them. And I know that. God is a good God. And I don't. I still don't understand everything. And I know that I haven't answered everybody's questions. Matter of fact, I may have even created more questions than what I've answered. But you know what? I've got a Christian philosophy, a way of thinking, that I know that God is good. I know that God is awesome. God is not out to hurt me or to hurt you or to hurt anybody God is not bringing judgment on America. He brought judgment on Jesus. Does that mean that we, therefore, can just continue to live in ungodliness and move further and further and further away from godly standards and it's not gonna, nothing's going to happen because God's not going to judge us? No, we can destroy ourselves. 
we are in the process of destroying ourselves. And if we don't have a change of heart, and if America doesn't turn back to God, well then, yes, there's terrible things that could happen. But it's not God that did it. Look at this passage of Scripture over in the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter 2. Of course, most of you are familiar with Jonah. He was commanded by God to go preach to the city of Nineveh and tell them to repent. And he didn't do it because he says, God, you know, I I know you're a merciful God. I'll go preach. They repent. And then it looks like I lied. Nothing happened. People are going to think I'm a charlatan. So he just decided to run. And he got into a storm. He was thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish. And in the heart of this fish, here's what Jonah said in verse 7, he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Jonah was saying, you know what? If you aren't seeking God, if you follow these lying vanities, the lies, the deception, the lust, the things that are in this world, you know what? You forsake your own mercy. America is not under the wrath of God, but we are under the mercy of God. God is treating us better than what we deserve. But if America just keeps walking further and further and further away from God, eventually we're going to get to the place where there is no protection. We have forsaken everything. We've kicked God out of our schools. We are trying to become increasingly secular. There are people who are wanting to legalize gay marriages, do anything that is against God. They they are for it. If we continue to do that, we will destroy ourselves. And so I'm not saying that there aren't consequences. I'm just saying God is a good God. God is not the source of our problems. And you need to have that as a basic philosophy, a way of thinking. And if you do that, it's going to make a big difference in your life.